We're doing things a little differently this morning, moving from communion right into the message today because the message today is about confession. And what better way to do that than rooted in having just taken communion together. So would you open your Bibles to Psalm 32 if you have them with you. If you don't, we have them at the front of each of the sections and at the back. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the gift of communion. Thank you, God, of the reminder that the work of righteousness is finished. That the work of the forgiveness of our sins and reconciliation of rebels back to be sons and daughters is finished. It's done. And Lord, Lord the, the great mystery of the Christian faith is that we are called to just believe what you have declared that you have already done and to walk in that belief. But Lord, we know that we often don't, that we are clouded by doubts and accusations, the brokenness around us and the brokenness within us and so, Lord, we need your help to continue to believe and to continue to trust you so we confess our brokenness. And this morning, as we consider what that means, I pray, Lord, that you would help us, even in our understanding of confession, to see the beauty of the gift that you offer us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 32 Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and who, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This psalm is an interesting one because it starts out by talking about how blessed the one is whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. And a few weeks ago, um, I, I preached on Psalm 103. 
the promise of God to, to forgive our iniquities, to view us according to the righteousness of Jesus, to be loved and forgiven and given a new identity, given the power to walk in that identity and how it is available to those who fear the Lord. The pathway to receiving all of those incredible gifts is confession. Now, confession will bring up a lot of different feelings and knee-jerk responses. For some, it might just be kind of a routine thing of like, yeah, I go through my prayer list, and, and yep, one of the ones is I ask for forgiveness, or um, I confess kind of, sometimes it might be just kind of a routine, generic confession of sin. For some of you who grew up Catholic, you may um, have remembrances of kind of going into the, the confessional and needing to confess your sins um, to the priest and trying to figure out, like, what should I say, what should I not say, trying to give just enough so they think you're being honest, but not too much, so they, like, don't judge you. Um, and some of us, some of us, it may just be something like, it's a, a foreign concept to us, and the only thing that we can think of when we think of confession is, like, a, a true crime podcast, or something like that, where you're trying to get a confession out of somebody. But all of those examples, none of them, I'm guessing, stir an excitement or joy in our hearts. Right? When we think about confession, it doesn't exactly stir peace and anticipation. But I want us to look at this psalm and see why maybe there should be more of that when we think of confession. Because confession is actually one of the sweetest things that we do in our relationship with God. Confession is the gate through which we experience the depth of God's love, the trustworthiness of his character, and the power of his spirit. And if you want to experience those things, and it starts with confession, David says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. The other word for blessed is happy. So we might say happy is the one who confesses and is forgiven. So if confession is so great, why are we so terrible at it? Why are we so slow to confess? Well, the answer as typical of why are things broken is because of our sin, because of our rebellion. Because the reality is we are bad at confessing. And if you're sitting there saying, no, I'm not, then you're doing it right now. Like when confronted with sin, typically, whether directly in our heart or through another person, let's face it, like we don't typically start with confession. We don't typically start with saying, admitting first, admitting our fault and admitting, you know what, I see what you're saying. I, I'm, I'm wrong in that. We typically start with deflection. We deflect by throwing out other accusations. The classic, well, he started it. If they weren't this way, I wouldn't be this way. Or we defend ourselves. That our sin, though, though not great and admittedly not, not awesome, it's understandable because I'm tired and there's a lot expected of me and I'm, and I'm stressed. 
or we justify. Saying that really when you think about it, there's more good than bad in my actions. Like I know I didn't handle that great, but that's because uh, I was motivated by all this good. And I know that I didn't speak really well in that. I wasn't very kind, but I was motivated by this righteous anger about the situation. And the thing about all of those responses, responses that I am all too familiar with, none of those things sound like Jesus. And I think it all comes down to fear and unbelief. Like, why do we deflect through accusations? Why do we insist on, as we receive some kind of critique or feel some kind of conviction, why do we insist on then lobbing an accusation back? Is it not because we are afraid that if we confess, then it'll tip the scales and we'll look more guilty than other people, and so then we'll receive justice or judgment while everyone else gets off scot-free? Think about how many times you've confessed with some sort of like, well, yeah, I know this wasn't good, but, but you did this. Or they did, they said this thing. And that's, you know, so that's worse. And so we deflect. And we are afraid of confessing without a return confession. We'll often apologize as long as we know we're going to get an apology back. We'll confess as long as we'll get a confession back because otherwise we're afraid it's going to throw off the scales of justice or think about why do we defend ourselves in our sin why do we try to gain sympathy in it I see this a lot in the church and I see it in myself when we'll confess sin, we'll know something's eating us, we feel convicted about how we handle the situation and so we'll confess it but we'll, we'll couch it in terms that make it understandable, just hoping that the person will say, well, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't so bad. Uh, it's, under, it's understandable why you reacted that way. Why do we do that? Because we're afraid of what we might find if we clear away all those defenses. Afraid of being overwhelmed. What if I actually see What's in my heart? What if I just let these words, this action, this belief, this thought just stand on its own? It's overwhelming. And that leads to us justifying ourselves. And why, why do we justify ourselves? Why do we try to balance out any of our confession in our own minds with all the good things we have done? Yes, I yelled at the umpire. It's a hypothetical situation. <laughs> but I'm out here volunteering to coach. I don't see anybody else out here volunteering to coach. Yes, I snapped at my kids, but don't they know all I do for them? Sure, that Facebook post wasn't very gentle, but I'm standing for truth. And we're afraid of being found out. We're afraid if we fully confess our sin, we might see who we really are. We might realize that, yes, those, all those other things may have exacerbated what's in my heart, but it did not create what was in my heart. And if I look at that in my heart, what, what if I've been wrong about the way I see this? 
What if I've been wrong about the way I view these things? What if I've been wrong in my understanding? What if I'm more sinful in the situation than I actually realized? What then? Ultimately, is a really scary thing to lay confession out there, to be vulnerable, to admit that we are sinful. Because ultimately, our worth is in play. In a, in a world that just so desperately wants to protect our view that I know truth and that I can be confident in who I am and nobody understands things better than I do, it is terrifying to let that go and to confess our sin. And all of this fear drives us to hide from true confession. As I said, we don't apologize unless we know the other person is going to as well. And we even lob that at God, where we'll confess and say, but God, you put me in this situation. We desperately want to preserve the image of ourselves that we are basically good and wise and rational because that is where we get our worth. That is our identity. And it perverts our view. And it causes us to act in ways. If you've ever looked around at yourself or at others and thought, this doesn't look like Jesus. So much of it comes back to this perversion of this view as we try to protect this identity of ourselves that we are really good at seeing the sin of others, but our sin we've referred to as mistakes or missteps. We want mercy and understanding for us and justice for others. If someone is harsh against our sin or calls us out on our sin, then we see them as self-righteous and hypocritical, legalistic, and judgmental. But if we are harsh towards other people's sins, we are righteous and faithful and courageous. We're confident that we see everything rightly driven in stubbornness, set in our ways, and the cost of letting go of all of that feels way too high. And David addresses this. Look at what lack of confession does. He says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. A lack of confession drives us into a pattern of being an accuser of others, a defender of our own sin, of being self-righteous and stubborn. And it leads to our bones wasting away and groaning all day long to misery and bitterness. David says, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He points to a different way. It doesn't have to be that way because in Christ we have something so much better. As Jesus redeems and we know to go with him for the forgiveness of our sins. But I want to say this morning that that means specific and intentional and consistent and without reservation. That Jesus redeems, which means he doesn't just wipe those things away. 
He doesn't just say, hey, I know that about you and I still love you. He redeems those fears that we have and he turns them and he resurrects them into something greater. He resurrects them into joy. Watch for this. What the enemy means for evil, God intends and means for good. This is another one of the great mysteries of Christianity that God doesn't just say, hey, I know you're under attack over here. I know there are these negative things and I'm just gonna get rid of those and let you have a clean slate. He doesn't just do that. He takes all of those things, all of our fear, all of our unbelief, and he puts them to death and resurrects them to serve our greater joy. Watch, watch what this looks like. Watch him as he doesn't just get rid of the bad and relieve that and comfort that, but he turns it into something beautiful. Think about the fear, our ultimate fear of being found out as not good and ultimately as unworthy and unlovable. Because ultimately, big picture, I think that's at the root of most of our fear of lack of confession. So what if I'm really awful? What if I confess something that makes this person or ultimately God change the way he views me? It's actually a terrifying thing to be really known deeply, right? Like it's, we all are good at being known a little bit. We have the version of ourselves that we want everybody to know. But then there are the versions of ourselves that requires vulnerability. And it's terrifying. Tim Keller said once that to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. I think most of us have that experience. Most of us know what it's like to share, to confess, to open up and then to be rejected. And it's crushing. Keller said that's, that's our greatest fear. But he said the flip that we do then to defend ourselves, to be loved and not known, is empty and fragile. So we say, I, I've learned my lesson. If I'm vulnerable and I confess, then I get rejected. And so I, I'm not going there again. So I'm going to present this version of myself, and I'm going to justify it because everybody else is doing the same thing, and then people will love me. But then you realize they only love that version of you. And that's empty and it's fragile. But Keller said to be fully known and truly loved, well, that's what it's like to be loved by God. To be fully known, all of your brokenness, every thought, every pattern, to be fully known and deeply loved is the greatest gift that we could receive. We tend to think that we'll experience the love of God through our grandstanding on morality or speaking out against sinful culture or giving him our list of accomplishments, but no. This kind of intimacy that God offers us comes with vulnerability of laying everything out in the open and seeing in the cross how God demonstrates his extravagant love for sinners. Jesus illustrates this with a parable in Luke 18. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, 
unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And if we look at that and think, oh, that was back then, silly Pharisees, then I just encourage you, just look for a moment at your own life. How often do we hear about brokenness and sinfulness out in the culture out there and we respond with this arrogance of, well, I know better. I know God's truth. And we stand in judgment. And we almost literally, like I've seen Facebook posts that are almost verbatim. I thank you, God, that I am not a heathen like the rest of these, this culture. And that is not the response of a righteous man. Because a righteous man has received the righteousness of Christ and says with the tax collector, be merciful to me. See, unwittingly, we can create a narrative that God loves me when I'm doing well, when I'm speaking truth and standing up for what is right and doing what he tells me to do. But when I'm struggling, I'm isolated and alone. And I see this not only in arrogant self-righteousness in, our, in the church culture at large, but I see it also in the brokenness of sin and addiction where people continue to isolate themselves and think that the answer is to pull further away from God until they get everything figured out and then they'll come back to him. And I'm telling you, this is all a perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we are to constantly, every time we see something in the culture that breaks our hearts, it should break our hearts and cause us to grieve, not to be puffed up. And every time we find ourselves in the repetitive addiction to a sin or brokenness, it should drive us into the arms of Jesus, not away from him. The truth is that we never experience more intimacy with God than when we confess our sins. Because it is there in that confession that we experience his radical grace and his mercy. It's there that we realize that not only does he relieve our fears, but he turns them into the greatest parts of his relationship with us. Think about that. Not only do we not have to fear that confessing will change his love for us, we find that in confession, our understanding of his love deepens. In other words... Our instinct is to hide from confession to feel loved. But when we confess, we feel more loved, not less. What the enemy means for evil, God means for good. That's the big one. But he does it with the others. Think about fear of justice. The fear of like, well, God, if I confess this to you, like what about all those other people? Like, if I confess the way I speak to my wife, like, what about the, the people that are abusing their wives? What about, what about if I confess my issues with identity, what about all the people that are messing with, with identities out there? Like, if I confess any of these sins, like, what about them out there? And what Jesus does is he doesn't just say, hey, don't worry about that, I'll take care of that later. He actually resurrects that into compassion and forgiveness. How? 
was he calls us to believe that he makes all things right. And the only thing that you need to concern yourself with is your own standing with God. He'll take care of everything else. Why does somebody in a true crime podcast, not that any of you listen to that kind of drivel, um, somebody might, I might, but if you, if you do, and you think like, man, there's so many times where like they're in the interrogation, you're like, bro, just confess. Well, why don't they? Because they don't trust the system to bring real justice, to fully understand what is going on. Well, what do we have in God? The only one who fully knows what's going on. The only one who judges and sees the hearts of men. And so we can trust him fully to know. He doesn't have an unbalanced view. If I confess the way that I speak to my wife, God's not saying, oh yeah, you are the worst. Yeah, I didn't even notice what she was doing. He notices. She's not in here. He notices. He notices, he sees it all, he knows your heart, he knows my heart, in every interaction, every conversation, like we don't have to be the hall monitor, he knows everything. Who better to trust to bring justice than the one who is completely just? Hebrews 10 says, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people, he will take care of it. But here's the thing, this is how it gets resurrected. When you believe him, you actually become then quick to forgive. Because forgiveness is really about releasing your claim on that sin. Releasing that and just saying, I hand this over to God. I'm just giving it to him and I'm trusting him to make this right. And when you do that, when you believe God is the one who brings real justice, God is the one who knows this completely, we'll be quick to give that to him. Why would I want to trust myself to do that? I want to give it to him quickly. And so when you believe that, we can become quick to forgive, to release our claim, to let him deal with everything. And one thing I have noticed is people who confess readily to God confess readily to others. People who confess readily to God confess readily to others because they're secure in their forgiveness in God. And they don't need that other person to execute justice because they're trusting God to do that. And not only are they quick to confess to others, they are quick to forgive. When I see someone who's stingy with forgiveness, and that's not the same thing as struggling and working towards forgiveness, this is not saying that when someone wrongs you or hurts you that like the next moment you should just be like, okay, yeah, I forgive them because I'm supposed to. Sometimes it is a process to believe God and to trust God and sometimes it's a lifelong process. So we're not talking about that. But, but when I say stingy, I mean people who say they don't deserve my forgiveness. I'm not ever, like I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm never going to, I don't want to go there. And I see someone who's stingy with forgiveness and I see someone who probably does not confess their sin much to others or to God. It's all this fear. And then finally, we're fear, the fear of being wrong. Jesus takes our fears of being wrong and resurrects them through giving us instruction and wisdom. I remember when, uh, when Lauren worked for Starbucks years ago when we lived in California, and as a manager of Starbucks, she'd have to do staff reviews with people and she would talk about their strengths and their growth opportunities. Right, anybody have things like that? I don't know what the phrases they use now, like, but it's some version of growth opportunities. Because we can't say weakness, we can't say anything. And I said, I said like, so by growth opportunity, you basically mean, hey, here are the things you need to change because you're driving us all crazy. Right? That's, basically, that's basically it. And there is a reality here. 
We look at that and we say, well, okay, those are actually my, that's actually my sin or that's my weaknesses or anything like that. But there is a truth in that that Jesus says, hey, I'm bringing you out of this. I'm redeeming every part of you, every character trait of you, everything that has been perverted by the enemy to cause pain. I want to redeem it. And those very things I'm going to use to bring joy and life to people. He doesn't leave us where we are. He teaches us and instructs us. If, and when we confess, we gain wisdom. Look at verses 8 and 9. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or will not stay near you. I have in my notes here, don't be a mule. Don't be a mule. Don't be stubborn about, like, trust him with this. Confess. Sometimes confession is a work in progress. Sometimes my prayers of confession are, Lord, I, something's not right here, but I can't even fully name what it is. I'm not really sure where I went wrong in this. I'm not really sure, but I just know there's brokenness here. I know I don't like my response to this, and I just start confessing that. And as I'm confessing and seeking him in it, he, like, will guide me and show me and teach me and instruct me and say, hey, that's because of this over here. This is where you went wrong. And if I enter into those situations of like, well, I know what I did right and I know what I did wrong and nobody's going to tell me any different, well, then we'll stay foolish. We'll be a horse or a mule without understanding. And the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Maybe the situations that are leading to sin in your life are just due to a lack of wisdom. Because yes, maybe you, maybe you repent and you are asking for forgiveness because you genuinely feel remorse and repentance over the sin, but you're not opening yourself up to the Spirit's instruction that is that realizing that how you got yourself in the situation in the first place. Does that make sense? I feel badly that I responded this way but then you keep putting yourself in the same situation, unwilling to listen to counsel or advice or instruction on growing in wisdom. Like what if the issue is you've been stubborn in your ways, always believing that you understand what is right and what is wrong, and when you are wrong, you know it. What if the Spirit wants to teach you a better way? Confession of sin opens us to all of that. So church, that's the choice. There are only two ways of dealing with our sin. Deal with it yourself or give it to God. The, com- the person who confesses knows that they are known and loved. They are confident in God's justice and is growing in wisdom. Who doesn't want to be that person? They are joyful. They are happy. They are free. They have wisdom. They are blessed. They don't have to worry about how others view them because it is the Lord they seek to please. They don't have to worry about exacting justice on everybody because they trust the Lord for his justice. Or you can carry that weight yourself. Rather than being forgiven by God, you can forgive yourself and work on that. A forgiveness that won't last. Rather than receiving the righteousness of Christ, you can declare yourself righteous. Rather than trusting God to bring justice in the world, you can go around trying to judge others. And it is miserable. Because we can't really deal with it. We can only deflect by accusing others of being worse than us. 
We can only defend ourselves by blaming the circumstances around us. And we can only justify ourselves by declaring us good compared to everyone else. We become an accuser of others, a defender of sin, self-righteous and stubborn. How happy is that person? Their bones waste away. They groan all day long. It is exhausting to keep up those appearances, to twist things so that we're always in the right. Who do you want to be? Think right now of a person in your life who you would say fits in the category of quick to confess. Person in your life who is quick to admit fault. Who is humble in listening and understanding how they may have sinned. A person who is quick to ask for forgiveness and to mean it. A person who is quick to learn from their mistakes and from their sin. And compare that to the one who is slow to admit fault. Who never says, I'm sorry. Who always has an excuse or deflection. Which one do you want to be? Do you want to be stubborn in the belief that if everybody else fixed themselves, then I wouldn't have any of these sin issues? Or do you want to see the world through God's eyes and open yourself up to a deeper love and more wisdom than you could possibly imagine? Do you want to be weighed down with sorrows of sin or do you want to be set free? Do you want to keep fighting to deflect or do you want the Lord to be your shield? Do you want to defend yourself or do you want the Lord to be your refuge? Do you want to carry the burden of your sin or do you want the Lord to take it? Do you want to justify yourself or do you want to be justified by Christ? Do you want to declare yourself righteous or do you want to receive the righteousness of Christ? Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. So that's my encouragement today. Let Jesus deal with the root of those fears of confession and confess to the Lord freely. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. When you believe that this is all that he offers you, deeper intimacy with him, a deeper understanding of his love, a deeper assuredness of your righteousness in him and your justification in the cross, a deeper love and compassion towards other people, if that's what we find through confession of our sin, why would we not do it? Why would we not then be like David in Psalm 139 where he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you hear what he's saying in there? God, root it out in my heart. He's not looking around, but Lord, look at me in my heart and try me and know my thoughts. And lead me, teach me, show me how to walk in this identity that you've given me. What if you did that today? Even as we sing a song here in a minute of just a song of confession, what if we just confessed and thought specifically? And then what if after that we went to other people, maybe here in this room, maybe maybe in in your neighborhood, maybe at your workplace, maybe in your family, maybe it's a phone call. 
where you said, I'm not gonna worry about their situation. Like, this is between me and God. I need to confess my sin in this. I am not gonna let the enemy kind of get in there and accuse me and say, well, if you confess this, then they're gonna think that they did everything right. Let the Lord handle that. What would it look like? What would it look like in the greater culture if we did that? As a church, if we started out by confessing first what we know, like first confess what we know to God and to others. And then if we ask the Lord to search for what we don't know and then ask him for grace to grow in wisdom. I'm not usually big into like three steps for this or that, but I, I just see in this psalm this helpful idea. Confess what you know first. Then ask the Spirit of God to search your heart and reveal what you don't know. And then ask him for grace to grow in wisdom. John Piper famously said when asked, what does he pray for first? He said without hesitation, myself. And he said because he didn't know anyone more in dire need of God's mercy than himself. Let that be our prayer. And as we confess to be known and loved, to have that weight lifted from us, to be released from those chains, to find him as our refuge and our defender, to hear his shouts of deliverance, cries of not guilty, as he instructs and empowers. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So we're gonna sing a song of confession. Church, you see, like this is why he's saying, be glad and rejoice. This is why it should stir. Our sin should not stir joy and anticipation in our, in our hearts, but confession, knowing that we can confess to the Lord and knowing already his response. Think about it. What's the biggest fear often you have when you are going to say you're sorry to somebody else or if you're going to confess something where you know you're wrong, you're worried about what's their response going to be. You know what his response is. The cross that he demonstrates his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. So that's why what the enemy wants us to fear and fret and worry over, the Lord says, be free. Confession is a serious thing because our sin is weighty and serious, but it's also a joyful thing as we know we are forgiven. We know as we've already taken communion that his work is done. It is finished. So take advantage of this time as we sing this song. Confess to God. Confess specific things that you know. Ask him to reveal things that you do not know and ask for grace to grow in wisdom and receive life. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we confess. And right now, Lord, in the quietness of our heart, I pray that you would gently draw to mind things that we should be confessing for. Not to earn your forgiveness, not so that can be checked off the list, but so that we can experience more deeply your love for us. That we can experience the abounding, surpassing worth of grace and mercy. So that we can know more intimately how, how well you know us and how deeply you love us. And that that would stir our affections for you. That we would not see it as a miserable thing, Lord, to confess our sins to you, but a joyful thing because of the work of the cross. 
And let us sing praises to you and shout with joy that we are forgiven, that we don't have to hide ourselves, that we can lay it all out there, that you, as you continue to shape us and form us and lead us in the way everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen.